This summer, we have been studying the book of Proverbs. Uh, We've looked at the Proverbs and said this is wisdom for living. A wisdom for everyday practical areas of our lives. Uh, One of the things that we've said about wisdom is wisdom has nothing to do with, with IQ. Wisdom has nothing to do with life experience. Those things are good and helpful of themselves. But wisdom is, is different. In fact, wisdom comes from, uh, we studied this in the very first week, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom comes when we allow God to be God over all the areas of our life. And so when we're looking at all these different areas of life, we're looking at uh, our words, we're looking at our, our money, we're looking at our friendships, we're looking at how we work, we're looking at all these areas of our life and saying, God, how can I allow your wisdom to speak into this area of my life? God, how can you be Lord of my entire life? One of the things is we're getting close to ending this series. One of the things that I'm facing is, man, there's a lot of topics that I wish we could cover. And we just don't have enough time. And so uh, we said this the very first week, and I'll say it again. Man, even if this is the best sermon series I've ever preached, which there's not much to go on. I mean, uh, uh, that's setting the bar pretty low. Even if this is the best sermon series you ever heard, listen, it still will not have the same impact on you as if you actually get into your Bible and you read these truths for yourself. Proverbs is simple. There's 31 days in a month. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. And so what I would recommend you do is whatever day today is, the 19th, you read chapter 19 of Proverbs and go out throughout the entire month. And as you're reading the book of Proverbs, here's the three questions you need to ask yourself while you're reading Proverbs. Life-changing questions. The first question you have to ask yourself is what verse applies to me today? As I'm looking at, at chapter 19, uh, there's going to be some of these verses that I just read over, and there's not much connection to it. But as you're reading those verses, man, what verse specifically applies to where you're at, to your situation, where you are today? How, what applies to you? Secondly, the question you have to ask yourself is, where have I seen this in the life of others? For example, Proverbs 13.3 says, One who guards his mouth protects life. Whoever opens his lips invites his own ruin. So have you seen that play out in other people's life? Have you seen somebody who always is just rambling and rambling and rambling, and really it just brings their destruction? I mean, think about how you've seen that play out in people's lives. And the third question you have to say is, is where have I seen this in my own life? Think about me. I think about the verse that says, pride comes before destruction. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that in my life, where my pride rises up and that leads to me going down a road I shouldn't be down. These are are things you have to do. And I'll tell you what, all these areas of life, wherever you are, whatever your situation is today, man, Allow God's wisdom to speak into that. Allow God to be Lord over all areas of your life. Today, though, today we're going to deal with a topic that is uh, pretty prevalent in our culture. In fact, when you do a a census survey of the entire population of the United States, this topic is going to affect 80% of the people, and I think that number is actually low. In fact, if you take uh, and go inside the, the church world, you go inside people of faith, this number will be much higher than 80% of the people that will be affected by this. Today, we're going to deal with the issue of marriage. What's fascinating is even though in America, 80% of people are going to get married, half of those marriages are going to fail. Half of those people are going to struggle through marriage. 
Marriage just is a beautiful thing. Marriage is potentially one of the most intimate relationships that we will ever be in. And it can literally be uh, the most fulfilling and joy-filled relationship that you will ever experience. On the other hand, that's not always all of our experiences. Marriage is difficult. Marriage is hard. In fact, Socrates, maybe you know a guy by the name of Socrates, he said this, he said, By all means, marry. If you get a good spouse, you'll be happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. Think about that. I want to be sensitive as we deal with this issue of marriage. Uh, Here at our church, uh, the last three weeks, we've had two marriages, which has been phenomenal to see in our church. Um, And it's been exciting. But I also recognize that there are some in this room who are going through a hurting time in their marriage. There are some who, who, this is a difficult season. There are some in here who have said, man, I've longed for that companionship. I've longed for that relationship. And the Lord just has not brought it. And I want you to know today, I want you to know I see you. I want you to know that you are loved. That you are not alone. That today as we have this conversation on marriage and God's wisdom for it, listen, there's no condemnation for what you're going through today. What I want you to hear is hope. I want you to hear the hope that God gives to every one of us. I want you to hear the hope that God gives to the picture of marriage. Now, Proverbs has a lot to say on this issue of marriage, of husbands and and, and wives. Uh, We're going to be looking at a couple of primary texts. The first text we're going to look at this morning is Proverbs chapter 31. Uh, This is primarily targeted towards the ladies. In fact, Proverbs 31 would almost be like a climax to the book of Proverbs. You have this, this picture, this praise of this excellent wife. This wife would be a role model for wives. And you say, well, how, how does she become a role model for, for, for a wife? Well, you look at how Proverbs 31 describes this woman. She works hard. She helps the poor. She speaks wisely. She helps her family. And the principle that you see from Proverbs 31, this is a woman who gives herself away entirely for her family. She gives herself entirely away for her family and to her community, completely selflessly. Now, when you deal with Proverbs 31, I feel like there's a couple of clarifications we need to throw out. Because I know there's some women sitting in, the, in, in here today saying, well, that's not fair. Like, there's a whole chapter detailing, like, the perfect wife. What about the men? Like, what about, what, where's, the, where's the chapter I can point to my husband and say, look, this is what you need to do. Well, this is where you have to remember the original audience for the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a father giving wisdom to his son. The whole book of Proverbs is written to the man. So, ladies, you've got one verse. Gentlemen, we've got 30 chapters. We've got 30 chapters detailing what we are supposed to look like. Man, this applies to to every one of us. And listen, I know there are some men in here who are sitting here saying, Man, I, I wish I had a Proverbs 31 wife. Like, I, like, I wish, like, I wish I had a Proverbs 31 wife. Nobody say amen right now, man. That would be a bad decision. Listen, you don't order that kind of wife on, on Amazon. It doesn't work that way. In fact, this kind of wife is not a new wife. A Proverbs 31 woman is an experienced wife, an experienced mother, who's got her fair share of 
failures as well as victories. In fact, I would actually say that Proverbs 31 demonstrates a woman that is well-loved, a woman who is well-cared for. So men, if you're looking and, and looking at Proverbs 31 and saying, man, I want a wife like that, men, here's the secret, okay? You, you, you pursue being a Proverbs chapter 1 to 30 type of man, and God's grace, you may end up with a Proverbs 31 woman. Kind of the way it works. Husbands, uh, pro- ladies, they've got chapter 31. Husbands, we've got chapters 1 through 30. That's a lot for us to look at. So what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of look at, focus on Psalm 112, which is almost a great summary of what it means to be a, a good husband. It would be maybe a companion chapter to Proverbs 31. In Psalm 112, uh, you're going to see that this husband is gracious, he's, he's merciful, he's righteous, he's generous. You're going to see that his children are blessed, he is financially stable, he lends freely, he gives to the poor. These are the types, uh, this is the type of man that we are called to be. And so as we're looking at our text today, I want to I give you a summary idea that you can kind of hang your hat on throughout the week and begin to, to think about what does this look like in my life. And uh, this is an idea that would be consistent throughout Scripture, but I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3. Solomon says to us in Proverbs 24, he says, By wisdom a house is built, by understanding it is established. And here's the idea I want us to understand this morning is that a, a, a fulfilling marriage, a, 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 a joy-filled marriage, a good, robust marriage doesn't just happen. A good marriage is cultivated. It is worked on. It is developed. It is cultivated through faith and sacrifice, hard work, through love, through sacrifice, and through grace. I want us to understand that when we look around and we see other marriages and they look so wonderful, listen, those don't just happen by chance. Those marriages that we look at and say, man, I wish we looked like that, those marriages are cultivated. In fact, do you know the word husband? You know where we get this word husband? It comes from the English word husbandry, which actually means to cultivate. It means it carries this idea of cultivation. So husbands, your, your role in by nature of what you are called is you are called to cultivate or to nurture your wife. Think about the newlyweds in this room. Listen, your wife should flourish under your leadership. She should flourish. Now I want to just throw this out right now. Uh, we're not going to be able to touch every issue on marriage today. Uh, we're going to give a, a summary, some ideas from Proverbs. But the reality is I know that there's a lot of different uh, people in different seasons of life. Uh, there's people whose marriages are struggling and they're barely hanging on. There's people in here who uh, are, are longing for a marriage. There's people in here who things are going good, but they're ending a new season of life. Now the kids are out of the house and now I'm with my spouse all the time. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you um, to... To think about where you are in your relationship. If you were to have an opportunity to look at someone older. Again, Proverbs is a picture of an older, godly father giving wisdom to a young man. Have you had the chance to ask somebody who was older and wiser than you? Question about relationships. Question about your marriage. 
Question about your singleness. Question about your, your hurt and your heartache and the issues. What question would you ask? Because I'm excited because two weeks from today, we're going to do uh, something different here at Restoration. We're going to do a panel discussion where what I want you to do is I want you to think about where you are in your life right now. We're dealing with relationships. And I want you to think, man, if I could ask a question. These are anonymous questions. I want you to email this address up here. Uh, questions at restorationyakima.com. Uh, anonymous way to email in a question. And we're going to throw these questions out to our panel. And ask our panel, hey, what godly wisdom can you give for this scenario? Here's what somebody wants to know. Here's where they are in their relationship. Can you give us some godly wisdom in there? Hey, I don't care if you are a teenager longing to be married someday or you're afraid of being married. I don't care if you're on the heels of divorce and you're broken and bitter. Or maybe you're in a season of life where things are just changing. Think about what you would want to hear. Think about what kind of wisdom you'd want. Ask that question. Let our panel wrestle with it. Because I guarantee that there's other people in this room who are wondering the same thing. Struggling through the same thing. So I'm excited. September 2nd, we're going to do a panel discussion. Please email in your questions. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at the issue of parenting. uh, Proverbs looking at parenting. And we're going to do the same thing. We want you to think about the questions you would have about parenting. Uh, dealing with kids, whatever season of life you're in, email those questions, and I think our panel's going to have a great opportunity to give us some wisdom for some practical areas of our life. But today, the goal is that we would learn how to cultivate uh, a fulfilling marriage. And we're going to look at three ways out of Proverbs on how we can cultivate a fulfilling marriage. And the first way that we will cultivate a fulfilling marriage is that we have to pursue what I would call marital awe. Okay? Pursue marital, marital awe. Proverbs 31, I want you to see this. This is, again, Proverbs 31, this is for the ladies. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Did you hear that? Same thing for husbands. You turn a few pages to Psalm 112. Uh, Verse 1 says, Blessed is a man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 112, verse 7 says, He is not afraid of bad news because his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Do you see the key here? Do you see that? These are things that should be underlined, highlighted, starred in your Bible. Grab your neighbor's Bible. Grab your spouse's Bible and underline it for them. Listen to this. There's a fear, there's a trust of God. Again, wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom, this is knowledge. This is wisdom allowing God to have an ability to speak into every area of your life. Listen, marriage is a God-given institution. Do you realize that? The court system of the state of Washington did not decide, hey, we should allow for people to be married. No, God instituted marriage. And so it would make sense that God would be the foundation of our marriages. Am I right? I mean, every human being, every human being is hardwired to live in daily awe of God. That is how we are created, that we would live in awe of God. And you know what happens? You know what happens when we don't live in awe of God? You know what we live in awe of? Ourselves, most of the time. And honestly, we make pretty crummy gods just to be completely honest. 
You either are living in awe of yourself or you're living in awe of God. Now, I know there's someone here and you'll say, well, you know, maybe we're just not really that into God. We're just not that into God. Listen, listen. Again, you have two choices. You're either going to live in awe of God or you're going to live in awe of something else. Living in awe of God is a primary thing that prevents your life and your marriage from going sideways. I want you to understand this. I want you to hear this. Having a relationship with God, having a relationship that is centered on God is the one thing, the most foundational thing that will prevent your relationship from going sideways. Now, the heart of every stable, joy-filled, fulfilling family is a husband and a wife who are committed to each other and committed to the awe of God. That God comes first in all things. And all the other things in their relationship, they flow out of having God first. Here's, here's the point I want you to see. Is when we live in awe of God, listen, that flows out to how we treat our family around us. When we are living in awe of God, first and foremost, that flows out to how we treat our spouse, to how we treat our children, to how we treat the people around us. Because you know what happens? Like you can come to church and you can kind of fake it at church, right? You can come to church and put your Sunday best clothes on. And you can come to church and, and you can raise your hand during the worship. And, and you, can, you can fake it at church. But you can't fake it at home. Over time, your faking is going to be found out. Listen, this, this is not a threat. This is just reality. I want us to understand this. Because how you see God, what you really believe about God, it will show up at home. It will show up in your marriage. In fact, when you look at the qualifications uh, out of 1 Peter chapter 3 and out of Titus, you look at the quali- qualifications for a pastor or an elder of the church. Most of those qualifications deal with the home life. They deal primarily with a man's life at home. Why? Because the hardest place for us to be a Christian is in our home. If we see God wrongly, that's going to cause us to see our spouse wrongly. I mean, the truth is, I mean, truth is many of us in a relationship are going to look and say, well, my spouse is the problem. My spouse is the problem. If, 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 if he would just pick his socks up, then I wouldn't get so mad at him anymore. I may just venture out to say perhaps the problem is that the God that you claim to believe in is not the real God. Your Jesus is not big enough to actually enable you to give grace, to give patience, to sacrificially serve your spouse, to forgive your spouse. Listen, if you can't do those things, If you cannot give grace, give patience, if you cannot sacrificially serve, if you cannot forgive, can I just suggest that perhaps it's because you don't see Jesus rightly. You don't understand the grace that he's given for your own life. Listen, if you're a single in here today, I want you to understand marriage won't fix you. 
We always have this idea, well, things will be better when I get married. When I get married, then, then things will get better. Listen, that's not the way it works. When you get married, it only amplifies the issues in your life. In fact, whether you are married or not, whether you are a teenager, or a, a widow, whether you are happily married or very poorly married, or divorced, wherever you are today, the best thing you can do, the healthiest thing you can do in your life is focus on living in awe of God. To love God wholeheartedly. And when you do that, listen, it will improve your life. It will improve your relationships. It will improve uh, everything in your life by focusing first and foremost to live in awe of God and who he is. How do we cultivate a fulfilling marriage? Number one, we have to pursue that marital awe of God. Number two, second thing to do, is we have to commit to building together. It's a verse that we read in the beginning, Proverbs 24, verse 3. It says, by wisdom a house is built. This means that both spouses are, are working together towards the common goal. That marriage is not two individuals doing their own thing, uh, doing separate different ways, but there is a commitment together to the same goal to building a strong home, to building a strong foundation, to building a strong marriage. That they're moving in the same direction, even though they have distinct roles. I mean, you see this in Scripture. You see that there are distinct roles for husbands and wives. Ephesians chapter 5 is probably the largest uh, section in Scripture dealing with marriage. And the Apostle Paul kind of defines these distinct roles in marriage for us. He says husbands should initiate a sacrificial love. They're to love their bride, their wife, like Christ loved the church. To protect and provide, just as Jesus does for the church. Ephesians 5 says, The woman is to respond with a submissive love. A free, glad, helpful, submissive love. Now what's interesting is, is aside of those two commands... For the husband to have this sacrificial love and the wife to have this submissive love. The Bible doesn't really give us concrete ideas of what a husband and a wife must do or not do. I mean, we don't see anywhere in Scripture that says the husband has to take garbage out every day. We don't see anywhere in Scripture that says the wife's the only one that does the dishes or the laundry. Like, you don't see that in Scripture. Because, again, the Bible is written for all centuries, for all cultures. And instead of having these... these uh, priorities, he gives us spheres of responsibilities. So you see this in, in, in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs thirty-one, twelve. here's for the husbands. You're going to see that husbands are more directly involved in provision and protection. 31, verse 23, says, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Proverbs chapter 12, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. Psalm 112, verse 3, wealth and riches are in his house. This is this idea. Generally speaking, a husband's sphere of influence is, is oriented around provision and protection of the family. That's their sphere of influence that they're kind of responsible for. The wives, similarly, you see in Proverbs 31, verse 15, that she provides food for her household. Verse 21, all her household are clothed in scarlet. 
Verse 12 and verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household. In fact, there's a section, uh, a scripture in, in Titus chapter 2 that I love. It says, older women likewise, and I want us to hear this today. This is a church passage right here. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. They are to teach what is good and so train the young woman to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may be reviled. You see, the older, mature mothers and wives, they are to be training the newer mothers and wives how to understand their sphere of influence. That a wife's sphere of influence is primarily going to be related to the home life. Primarily related to the own life. The home life. Now, I know that we live in the 21st century. We're like, hey, those are kind of archaic. Like, we don't really go by that. So what does this look like for us today in Yakima, Washington, 2018? When we consider the fact that God has given us these spheres of God-given responsibilities, I want us to understand, number one, priorities. You always have to start with priorities. Again, if we are living in awe of God, if we are allowing God to be God of every area of our life, that we need to align our priorities with God's priorities. And if God says, husbands, this is your role. This is just a fear of influence. Husbands, we need to embrace that. Wives, we need to say, if I'm going to, to live in awe of God... That means I need to submit to the sphere of influence that God has given me. Listen, this has nothing to do with education, with, with, with potential, with ability. This has to do with what God has called us to. The second thing to help us understand and apply this in our relationships is I want us to understand, hey, listen, this is not a 50-50 thing. God's not saying, yeah, man, you do the 50%. You do your part, then you're done. And wife, you do your 50%, and then, you're, then those two together equal 100. That's not the way it works. When you are going to uh, commit to, to building together, that means that everybody gives 100%. That means that when you've gone, and, and husband, that means this is what it means for you. When you've gone and you've worked and you've provided and you come home with a paycheck, it means you just don't go sit on the lazy boy and watch the Mariners game. It means you get up and do the dishes. You get up and help fold the laundry. It means that you have your sphere of influence you're responsible for, but you don't stop there. You work together. Again, here's our common goal. Here's what we're working together. And I'm going to give sacrificially to your area to help you be successful in your area as well. well what about wives? Does this, does this mean because a wife, is, her sphere of influence is homeward? Does that mean she shouldn't work outside of the home? I would say, I don't think scripture necessarily says that. I would say if you can work outside of the home without sacrificing your primary God-given responsibility, then go for it. But this is where marriage, you have to be committed to building it together. Whatever it takes. There are seasons of life. Seasons of life where things are happening and you kind of have to step up in areas. You have to help fill some of the void because, again, it's not 50-50. It's we're working together wholeheartedly, 100% to the common goal. Do everything I can to get us there. So we're going to cultivate a marriage like this, a fulfilling marriage. Number one, 
live in, in marital law of God. Number two, commit to building together. And number three, pursue marital oneness. This is, in fact, the essence of marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, God creates man. God creates him a wife, Eve. And he said, the man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one. Now, if you're an engineer in here, a math-related person, you know one plus one equals two. Except when it comes to marriage. Because God says one plus one equals one. We're to pursue marital oneness. That there are things that we need to do in our relationships that will cultivate that type of oneness in our marriage. First thing we can do to cultivate that kind of oneness in our marriage is to pursue active love. Proverbs 15, 17 says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Amen to that? You ever had dinner that night? Love is an action. Love is not a feeling. We go through these seasons where I I just don't feel in love with you anymore. Listen, love is an action. You choose to love. Listen, your feelings will follow. You choose to love. Your feelings will follow. Listen, if you're married in here today, would you just be willing to ask your spouse, say, how can I intentionally and specifically love you today? What could I do that would speak to you? That would be an act of love for you today. Second way to cultivate marital oneness is through uplifting words. Uplifting words. I love this in in Proverbs 31, verse 28. Uh, It says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. It says, her children rise up and call her blessed. The kids show her respect. They encourage her. Where do you think they learned that from? They learned that from dad. They learned that from watching dad continually praise his wife. Continually encouraging her. Listen, this is one of the most practical ways to... to, Husbands, you want to cultivate your wife. You want to help her be all that God has called her to be. One of the most simple things that you can do is to cultivate a tone of praise in your home. Which means there's no more put-downs. Which means there's no more fault-finding. Which means your sarcasm has got to stop. Which means your insults, and, and maybe for you husbands, which means your neutral silence doesn't continue. You want to cultivate uh, marital oneness in your marriage. Listen, give those uplifting words to your spouse. Build them up. Because you know what happens on the opposite side when you don't do that? Proverbs 21.9 says, It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house with a quarrelsome or a nagging wife. I think that verse is hilarious. Listen, men and women, we all have this. Women, maybe you have more of a leniency to, tendency to nag. Listen, do you understand that the nagging, that the constant criticism is actually the opposite of submissive love, of sacrificial love? 
You know what that constant nagging and constant criticism is? You ever watch a football game? I know, we're in football season. Uh, the Last night's game, I know some of you don't know what I'm talking about. I hope you do. The Seahawks game last night, disappointed with how it turned out. It's a preseason, who cares? But do you ever watch a football game? Do you ever watch a football game? And, and the referee keeps blowing the whistle. <sighs> holding. <sighs> holding. <sighs> uh, pass interference. You watch the football game, and when the referee keeps blowing the whistle, you're just like, dude, can't we just play football? Can't we just, can you just stop for a little bit and just let us play? Listen, that's kind of like the nagging wife, the nagging husband, constantly criticism, constantly blaming. It's exhausting. And you know what's so important? Again, if we say that our kids will pick up on how we praise our spouse, you know what else your kids will pick up on? I'm not going to say this absolutely. But why do you think your kids defy your spouse? Kids mimic what they see. And if you are upbuilding, if you are giving those uplifting words, listen, that's what your kids are going to see. And that's what's going to cultivate that oneness. And if on the other side, if you're the person who's constantly criticizing, nagging, listen, this is what your kids are going to see as well. Listen, tonight, husband, wife, whatever it is, while you're eating dinner, the kids are at the table with you. Find something you can praise your spouse about. Man, you do this so great. Man, I'm so in love with you. I love how you do this. You speak to my heart when you do this. Make that a pattern. Every day at the dinner table. Every day getting coffee together. Man, you do this so great. So wonderful. Third way to cultivate marital oneness is through lovemaking and faithfulness. I might turn a little red in the cheeks here, but Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15 through 19. Solomon tells us, drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Listen, the Bible encourages frequent passionate marital, marital intimacy within the context of the marital, marital covenant. When there's that act of physical intimacy, listen, two people cannot get any closer. You just can't get any closer. Listen, there's a warning in this text. There's a warning in Proverbs dealing with adultery. Solomon, again, speaking to his son, he warns repeatedly uh, of the temptress, saying, hey, there's a woman who's cowering. And there's going to be a temptation to go and find her at night. To go to her house. And he says, listen, don't go there. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. But what Solomon does say is drink from your own cistern. Listen, talk to your spouse about that. Talk with your spouse about it. Because intimacy like that is much like a covenant renewal ceremony. Renews that covenant. Renews that intimacy. You should be renewing that covenant regularly. 
three ways to cultivate a marriage that is fulfilling and lasting. Number one, pursue a marital law of God. Number two, commit to building together, to working together. Number three, pursue marital oneness. How do we do that? How do you pursue the marital awe of God? Can I just suggest that perhaps the church is a part of it? Perhaps the church is a part of it. That when you come together and you live life with people who are pursuing God wholeheartedly, do you think that bleeds over into your life? Absolutely. That joint commitment, working together. Listen, do you understand your sphere of influence that God has given you? Again, this isn't two people that are half committed to things working out. This is two people 100% committed to doing whatever it takes. So you should ask your spouse today, listen, honey, how can I grow in my sphere of influence? And how can I encourage you in your sphere of influence? How can I make you successful? Cultivating marital oneness. Listen, what are the words that are coming out of your mouth? Even as a single person. Are you a person who is constantly finding fault? Are you a person of praise? Listen, if you are, wherever you are today, if you're a happily married person, if you're a miserably married person, if you're divorced, if you're single, if you're widowed, I want you to know the picture that God gave when he gave us marriage. That marriage is a picture of how Christ loves the church. It's the ultimate marriage. That you and I, we come in filthy. We come in shameful. We come in diseased. And we are, 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 are bankrupt. That's our natural state. That is how we approach God. I don't want you to picture the perfect man or the perfect woman comes along. This person's good looking. They're fit. They're funny. They're rich. And reasons known only to them. They set their eyes on you. They set their love on you. And they beg you to marry them. And on that wedding day, they give these vows. And it says, all I am, I give to you. All I have, I share with you. And what is it you have to give? You've got your filth. You've got shame. You've got your debts. And what's happened is they've taken your debts and given you their riches. You are now one with the love of your life. Listen, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. That Jesus has set his love on you despite your sin, despite your shame. Jesus has set his eyes on you and he wants to be one with you. And he goes to the cross and he takes your sin and he pays your debt in full. And in return, he gives you his perfect righteousness. And all that he has, he gives to you 
in better or worse, for rich or poor, in sickness or in health, till death do we meet. Listen, whether wherever you are today, I want you to experience that love. Whether you are married or divorced or single or, or happily, wherever you are, I want you to experience that love. That never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever kind of love. Just close with a little bit of a story. A gal started to come to the church a year, year and a half ago. Sat in the back. Her name was Nancy. Nancy lived a life like many of us. She came in and that was her. She had a life that no, she wasn't really proud of some areas that she wished were, would have been better. She understood that God set, her, set his eyes on her. He kept coming for a year. He had a chance to love on her, to get to know her. Got a call Saturday morning that she had fallen down and was taken to hospice is going to be passing away there's a guy with no family around there's a room of people from Restoration Church sitting by her worshiping praying feeling God's presence knowing that Nancy was close to meeting her Savior That is the marital oneness that God offers every one of us. That peace, that love. That's what I want you to experience today. Let's pray.